Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And here we are. We are not anywhere near you because, well, unless you're listening in Europe. We might have listeners in (laughs) London. I hope we have listeners in London. I hope so, but I doubt it. We've actually been away for three weeks, and uh, we're excited to get back and give kind of some updates to you loyal listeners to Ayers on the Road. We're in London now, but we've been in Switzerland for most of the last two weeks at a really interesting, what we call a summit. A summit of family trends, and it really has been fascinating. Luckily, we have children who live in Switzerland, so we get to visit them first. And then we went on to this fabulous summit. And now we have a daughter who lives in London. So I was talking to a guy the other day who was bragging about all the houses he had all over the world, Linda. And I said, well, there's one thing better than having houses all over the world. That's having kids all over the world and each of them having a guest room. So here we are in our, well, I don't know if a guest room, do you, what do you think, Linda? It's actually a... An air mattress. A on guest the floor room in uh, is an air mattress. We're here in London with uh, a baby. This is their first baby, and um, so we have to move to another room when the baby goes to bed, which is the living room. <laughs> and so it is really interesting. But boy, you know, are they we like their mattress. Boy, are they well placed. They live, um, and we're sitting right now, just maybe maybe two hundred feet, two hundred yards, I guess, to be accurate, from Trafalgar Square. And uh, there's the, this is the theater district of London. It's the West End where all the exciting historical sites are. It's also the site of our favorite museum. You know, maybe this maybe this fits into our constant interest in families, Linda. We, we love going to the National Portrait Gallery because the way to really learn history and learn families that lived in England and that contributed to history throughout the ages is to go to the portrait gallery and see these brilliant paintings of everyone from King Henry VIII to uh, actually good people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's really become our very favorite. I'm reading a book right now called Amazing Grace, which is about William Wilberforce, who was the they actually the force behind stopping slavery in England in the early eight, in the 1800s. Um, he's an amazing character. If anybody wants a good book to read and English history, it is absolutely incredible. amazing. Grace and 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 the reason I'm sure you thought of that, Linda, is we found his portrait in William Wilberforce in this wonderful British National Portrait Gallery, along with all of his colleagues, uh, William Pitt, who was the prime minister at the time. And we found Horace Walpole, who is the son of a prime minister and who coined our favorite word, serendipity. We We, found so many people, pictures of paintings. Paintings are better than photographs. Wow, you can tell a lot from looking at a, a face. But wow, we have had such a good time. And we're so glad that um, our our great helper Cole could fit us in today and so that we could run off to, uh, what are we doing? Hats off to our, our producer Cole because we're taping this show a little earlier on the day of its broadcast So because we have tickets for Cirque de Soleil in Royal Albert Hall of all things. Royal Albert Hall, many of you know, is a round, beautiful uh, venue with uh, 
several layers and decks as a place where they have concerts and plays and so on right um, on Hyde Park. Well, and right then, near where we lived or where we worked when we were here in London as mission presidents. And then we get to go to a concert of the Four Seasons at St. Martin in the Fields, which is literally 200 feet from where where we are at this cute apartment. We are so loving this place, and darn, they're going to have to move when they have another <laughs> child, so we're going to have to take advantage of it. But anyway, London is a wonderful place. It's our playground, and, and we're having so much fun. It's tempting not to make this show a travelogue, but we promise we'll get to the family core of today's show, which is how much the family matters in Europe. But let's just say a word about Switzerland, what we were doing there. And, and we were in the most beautiful part of Switzerland. We've, here's a funny thing. Actually, many, many listeners may know of Davos, the economic summit, which is sort of a place to see and be seen. It's where the world movers and shakers go every year. And it just wrapped up uh, a week and a half or two weeks ago. And and just as it was ending, and by the way, I'll just frame this with bookends. Shortly coming up is the, the, the World Climate Summit, which will be held just over the, the, the mountain range in Bonn in Germany. And so as we were meeting at this family trend summit, it was interesting to reflect and say, well, there's, a, there's an economic summit going on in Davos. There's a climate change summit coming up in Bonn. They get a lot of attention, a lot of uh, press, a lot of publicity, uh, and they deal they deal with the effects of what's happening to the economy, what's happening to to the climate, what's happening to the global warming trends, and so on. But what we think is that our summit that we were attending on family trends is really the cause for a lot of those effects, particularly for economic effects. The, the family, the strength of families, how well they're doing, how viable they are, how functional they are, is a, is a powerful demographic factor that in a lot of ways controls and influences the economy of the whole world. And so we met for these three days with uh, mostly PhDs. I think we were the only ones in the room that weren't PhDs, Linda, of course. No, we were pretty dumb. Yeah, we were Well, there was dumb. another, there was a filmmaker and there were three uh, crew people and they're actually, um, well, there was a man who was raised on a farm in China during the Cultural Revolution. I mean, he wasn't raised, he was put in a commune and sent out to work on the farms. Such a fascinating so we story. Had, we had a lot of interesting people, and, and all of them, uh, this is really an oversimplification, but I think the bottom line was that, that everyone was saying the family really is in decline when you define a family as the basic unit of society, which has always done certain functions uh, for the world, namely procreation, teaching children values and character, caring for old people, um, giving an identity larger than self to children. We tried to define family by the things it accomplishes. And one of the questions was, can any other institution perform these functions? As we have less and less people getting married, less and less people wanting to have children, throughout the industrialized world, ma mainly America, Europe, and, and parts of Asia. And of course, 
the answer to that question gets pretty scary. Who, who else can perform these family functions? Can technology perform them? That gets really frightening. You get into sort of brave new world scenarios. Can the government provide them? You get into big brother government. It's interesting that right now, um, 1984 by George Orwell is the number one selling book again. It's a book that was written 70 years ago, but it talks about big government and big brother and taking things over. And some people see parallels with with the Trump administration. We're not going to get political, but the world in many ways is in turmoil. And to see these experts talking about why the cause of a lot of these economic and, and uh, social disruptions is the decline and change within families, that that's the cause and the economics and other things are the effects. Um, I wish you could see Richard because he has great hand motions oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And wow. he's really feeling uh, excited about this, and so am I. It was really one of the most amazing conferences. And before you get too far away from who was there, we were so thrilled that so many people are concerned about the family, um, whether they're um, very religious, atheists, um, uh, from China, uh, whatever their background is, it really was fascinating to know that they were very concerned about the family, as we are. And uh, one of the women there um, was from Opus, Opus D. Opus D, which is an order of the Catholic Church, um, made famous in kind of an erroneous way by the movie Da Vinci Code. <laughs> right. She said they got one thing right in the Da Vinci Code, and that's the address in New York City of the Opus D. But she was so dedicated. She was somehow getting to church every day. She had the driver stop on the way. And to went Zurich. to Mass every day. It went then down the mountain from where she we had, were. She went down the mountain for another one. Then she came, uh, had to leave early for another Mass the day we were there. And wow, what dedication. And Listen to this. This is a definition of that. It's an institution of the Roman Catholic Church that teaches that everyone's called to holiness and that ordinary life is a path to sanctity. Wow, that's what we believe. Kind of what we believe. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I think most of the Christian world believes and a lot of the world. But it was not a conference of only religious people. There were several um, agnostics there. There were people there who, who actually uh, don't believe in the traditional family, at least not in their personal lives. Several that were cohabitating, some that uh, had chosen not to have children and so on. But the whole, the whole bottom line was... Can we create, and the purpose of the, the, the summit was actually, it was called by a filmmaker who um, is using our book, The Turning. Some of you are familiar with our book, The Turning. The subtitle is Why the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It. And she's going to make a documentary film based loosely on that book. And so she wanted to have a lot of other people giving inputs and, and essentially being sure that the story she tells is the most relevant story to tell about the family. And again, the reason we wrote the book, The Turning, it's not a how-to book on parenting. It's a why-to book. It's sort of what's happening to families and what we each need to do to protect our own families from the anti-family trends going on in the world. And so I think for us, Linda, it was pretty exciting just to realize how universal some of these concerns are. 
Well, we, we should say this was hosted by the woman that's doing this film. And uh, she, but she's pa passionate about it. She loves um, the whole idea of a family. She's a mother of five children, is totally dedicated, and uh, is really excited about doing this for the, uh, for the world, not just for any particular religion or sect. So the title of today's show, which we're finally getting around to, is Why the Family Matters in Europe. And so we're going to take a little brief break. And, uh, you know, most of you are listening in America. Just be assured that this is relevant to you as well. Parents are more the same than they are different throughout the world. We'll take a brief break and we'll tell you why. Ayers on the Road. Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back, and I want to tell you, I'm so grateful to be sitting here by Linda Iyer, being a little sort of a support mechanism for her message on families today. Yeah, very little support. That's <laughs> hilarious. It's hard to get a word in edgewise today because Richard's so excited about this. But anyway, it is so fun to do this as a partnership. And it really is great. The things that we've learned at this summit, which we spoke about in the first half, is remarkable. It was an incredible uh, experience in a most beautiful spot in the area. You know, several, yeah, the, the Alps. I mean, there's nothing like the Alps. There's one guy there who's also from the Rocky Mountains as we are. And he said, you know, I'm going to have to consider whether I call the Rocky Mountains mountains anymore after I've seen <laughs> these Alps. You guys have got some Alps. And it was beautiful sunny days and I would go for, we'd go for sleigh rides and we'd go for horse drawn sleigh rides we'd go for runs every day out in the beautiful blue air interestingly most of Switzerland was socked in with fog and uh, when you drove up out of Zurich and up into these mountains it was like popping out it was like driving like, into Parley's Canyon yeah it was just like <laughs> Hopping out when you're going up to Parley's Canyon, it really was pretty amazing. It was so similar, and people were getting depressed because it was so gray for so long. It had been about two Down weeks, cities, I think, before yeah. they'd seen the sun. But let me so. just say, there were a lot of Europeans at this summit, and uh, sometimes I think that, you know, they were so anxious to say, well, now families aren't the same in Europe as they are in the States. And, uh, you know, some of the Americans were like, yeah, let's differentiate, you know, families. We can't just talk about families because they're very different in Europe and they're very different in Asia. And everyone has their own set of circumstances and cultures and, and every society is different. And, you know, it is it is true. I mean, obviously, the, the family problems in China are caused by the government saying you can only have one child. And. The family problems in America are largely called by entitlement, kids who don't know how to work anymore and who think everything should be given to them. And that's true in parts of Europe, too. And, and in some parts of Europe, uh, the government is so involved with families, it's almost frightening. Um, in, in some of the Scandinavian countries, women get a year paid maternity leave mandated by the government. And dads, I think, in some of those countries, Linda, get two or three months paid maternity leave. So the government, what's interesting is, is a lot of the discussion was about how governments in various parts of the world 
are intervening and trying to help families be stronger, but sometimes in ill-conceived ways that are actually harming families. There are many countries, as, as we've mentioned on this show before, where people are getting cash bonuses to have children because the population is declining. And there are other countries, like I mentioned, where government mandates certain policies that they think are family friendly. But a lot of the participants there are saying, well, what should government do to support families? The answer was nothing. Just get away. Just let parents raise their families. Don't be intrusive. Let, even in the school systems, let parents be the ones to make decisions, not schools. And that certainly isn't the case. Some of our friends in Switzerland were saying, you know, we can't even take our kids out of school for one day to go on a family outing. It's against the law. We have to supply all this documentation and so on. The schools really are in charge of the kids, not the parents. So how far does government go and can government help without interfering and substituting and, and undermining families? And this man from China who was put in a commune and only allowed to finish the third grade, that's when the Cultural Revolution started. So they no longer educated the kids. They just sent them out to work on farms and do other menial work. And uh, he was saying, you know, I just, I had no idea what a family should be. I wish I'd known now. He has one 26-year-old son. Uh, he's living in California now half the year, in Shanghai half the year. But he said, if only I had known what I was supposed to do with my family. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. He mentioned that two or three times yeah, um, that's in right. chatting at, at meals and so on. It really is interesting that um, families are a little different in different countries, but. But, I mean, that's, don't you think, Linda, the, the general conclusion, once you get beyond all of the topical differences, governmental differences and so on, the essence of families is always the same. Right. I, I did think it was interesting, though. We, we also spoke to a church group and uh, our son Talmadge helped us. It was great. He introduced us in German which was a huge accomplishment for him because he's worked so hard traveling. Most of the time it's hard for him to learn German. Uh, he already knows Portuguese, but you know, it's another language. And um, it was just, it was so interesting because during the course of the fireside, he helped us a lot understand the culture. And one thing he said was, we were talking about how important it was to praise children. And uh, we said, the question was, you know, how do you give children self-esteem? And we said, well, you know, take out their little hand and write on their little fingertips the things that they're good, the letter of what they're good at. Praise, 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 praise. Just praise, praise, praise. So um, it was just fascinating because he said, you know, they don't do that very Yeah, much he got up and he said, you may have a cultural difference there because most parents in Switzerland don't don't give a lot of compliments to their children. They're afraid too much praise will actually sort of spoil the child or make the child feel uh, entitled or privileged. And, and uh, so it is interesting. But after the fireside, a lot of people came up, Linda, and said, you know, we should praise our children more. We, we, yeah, we withhold a lot, a lot of praise. Maybe our kids need a little more praise. So, so cultural differences. Uh, in fact, once when we were in China, I did ask um, <clears throat> parents, how in the world they had such obedient children? They always are bowing to their grandparents and, and parents and whatever their wishes, they'll do it. And I said, how do you do that? And the guy said, well, that's easy. We just have a little switch in the closet. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was kidding. Luckily, I actually, he was not. Kidding. Oh, he wasn't. No. Um, because and he was really bright and well educated, but that was just their method of doing it. So it is interesting to know that parent, different parents do different things. Everybody's not on the same wavelength, but people do know uh, innately what's right or wrong uh, with what they're doing. If, if they're doing something that's really damaging to a child, they know. And uh, we thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's so intriguing is that European parents um, put a high premium on on teaching their children how to converse with adults. And you, you run into a lot of European families where the kids are really adept at not only being polite, but really entering in a good conversation with, with adults and so on. Of course, in most cases, I mean, a, a, a European family of three children is very large. And the norm is certainly more two or one. And so there's a lot more time spent with adults and maybe less time spent with peers. But even within Europe, the cultural differences are so interesting. For example, in, in Switzerland, where our son and daughter-in-law live with their five-year-old, um, it's really frowned upon to walk your child to school. They're supposed to be independent. One of the ways you teach a kid independence in Switzerland is they walk to school by themselves. And and, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. Contrast that with England, where every mom seems to walk her child to school every day. And it's sort of thought of as the, the time for good communication between mother and child. And if the mother's not available, a grandmother will walk her child to school. And so every on. mother, they put the babies in the prams and they walk their kids to school. But interestingly, our little granddaughter who is an only child right now, really did not want to walk to school on her own. Really, really. Right. So her mom. <laughs> her mom her does mom walk her to school. She's the only one who does. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but but I but hats off to her because she's like, I'm not bowing to this. And she's Swiss, by the way. I'm not bowing to this cultural norm. I think it's better for, for me to walk with her. That's the time we get a lot of talking done. So I guess one of the lessons is don't, don't bow to convention and, and we can learn that as Americans too. There's a lot of things we, you know, I, I think an example of that is an allowance. Well, everyone gives their kid their, their allowance. It's just something you do. So we should do it. Well, wait a minute. Maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe a child can earn the money. Maybe a child can, you know, do things in a little different way than, than all the other parents. And, and that applies to education too. I mean, I think the best way to view education is it's a supplement to what you're teaching as the parent, but you're still in charge of your child's education. The school's not in charge, and we need to sort of remember that. Um, um, it is really fascinating to compare what's happening in different cultures, but it's also fascinating to know that children are the common denominator all over the world. Everyone loves their children, and they want the best for them. They want them to be self-reliant and honest and courageous and all those good things that we want for our children. In they, other words, there's really less differences than, really than people think. It really is, uh, has been an amazing uh, three weeks. We've learned so much and learned also how much we love England, London, especially because we spent so much time here early in our lives. And then our kids have been spent so much time here. We have three children who have served as missionaries in England and uh, 
We are so Two of them were born here when Two we were, were doing our here. mission That's in right. England. So, so feels like coming And home. your money goes a long way in England right now since Brexit. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm stealing food <laughs> at the grocery store. <laughs> Honestly, it, it used, used to, to be, be so way. awful. It used to be two to one, and now it's 1.23. And it is amazing the difference it makes. So let us close with just a kind of a sneak preview of what this film is going to look like, we think, this documentary film based on our on our book. Some of the conclusions that we've tentatively reached and the film producers reads, number one, it's going to focus on children and on their needs. Number two, it's not going to be gloom and doom about how families are falling apart and so on. It's going to be about the possibility to create the best kind of families ever that combine the commitment and, and stability of the 50s and 60s with the flexibility and the dad's involvement and the equal partnerships of today. And it's going to be a film more about the future than about the past of families. Well, I think that we're all agreed and in the whole room when we were doing this, that it needs to wrap up with or at least at least show the joy that families bring, because there's no way you can do that until you've done it, actually. But we're going to try and convince people it's the best way to go. The joy of families. That's the message. And we'll see you next week on Ayers on the Road. We'll be back home. Bye bye.